Hello and welcome to the Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. I'm here to ask lots of questions and believe you me, I've got quite a few to ask. This week we're looking at procurement in an inflationary environment and what this means and also what we can do about it. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing. Enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Today we're seeing unprecedented changes in our supply chains, but also how trade works at the global level. And it's not going to go back to how it was before. You did a post on LinkedIn on this. I find that I'm having problems getting hold of things. Yes. When I go to the supermarket, there are occasional gaps. Mm -hmm. In the United Kingdom, we've had all sorts of supply chain issues with everything from domestic goods through to things that organizations need in order to create stuff. Things seem to be getting a bit more expensive they do too yes what is going on is it all down to covid this is almost the perfect storm in fact i would even say it is the perfect storm we've got unprecedented supply chain issues and there are a number of factors here this is like we've taken a big pebble and dropped it into the pond so a couple of years ago the pond was like sort of like a mill pond and then we've not only put one pebble in it we put another pebble in it and even bigger pebbles and the ripples are kind of going around and reverberating and they're going to keep doing that for many years to come so covid is one big issue that's driven changes that will never be undone in our global supply bases. Companies have failed, companies have downsized, companies have scaled back, they've closed, or they've just completely restructured to have this kind of new work from anywhere type workforce or perhaps using a hybrid model so you have hubs of manufacturing maybe hubs of service provision and you have the rest of the company that might not be working in the places or the physical buildings that they were once working in and finding new ways to make that work as well so we're still realizing the impacts of covid in terms of how that has halted held back restricted delayed production and things around the world brexit's another big pebble yes um, especially here in the uk that's changed how things can be imported and indeed what sort of things are being moved around as well but we're also seeing a lot of geopolitical changes in the uk we had uh, you'll remember we had a gas shortage which was as a result of russia effectively holding europe to ransom over the gas that it supplies through its pipeline by just scaling back supply and that then drove companies to shut down production because the cost of gas was getting too high it drove hikes in energy prices that became unsustainable for many of the energy companies. We had some interesting knock-on effects from that, didn't we, with regards to CO2 production? Because gas is one of the main things that's used to power the way in which CO2 production is made. So, of course, that affects beer production, yeah. which is like a big impact. Obviously. Also, CO2 is used in the production of food. It's used to preserve food in the packaging that you get and so on. So it sounds like a small thing, but it's a big thing. It's another pebble, another ripple that goes out there. But it's one of many geo political changes as countries begin to kind of get a little bit more territorial hold other countries to ransom we're seeing a lot of protectionism around the world and that's here to stay now and all of this triggers changes which means that consumers panic a little bit also here in the uk we had the fuel shortage back in september Mm -hmm. where There was a leaked report that said that there may be an issue with truck drivers and everybody rushed out to buy gas and everything ran out of gas. Even though there wasn't a shortage of gas, people panicked. 
they panicked because they don't trust the information. And it's not just fuel, but throughout the pandemic, we've seen these massive fluctuations in demand as people lose confidence in supply chains and buy in different ways to those Mm -hmm. that they've bought before. But there's some other factors at play. You remember we talked about the Ever Given, the tanker that got stuck. Yes. That was way back in April 2021. Are we still seeing the impact of that? We are in a slightly different way because there was a massive impact for months and months afterwards. You remember you couldn't get olives. I couldn't get olives. No, I couldn't either. And it took months for the delays that that caused to be righted. We're seeing a different problem now because all of those containers have arrived at the ports. Yeah, but that's a good thing. It is, but it relies on the fact that when they arrive at the ports, they can then be moved to where they need to be. Oh, of course, so the actual physical containers in terms of uh, media to move items. Yeah, so the actual shipping containers have arrived at the ports and they're stuck at the ports because there isn't the capacity in the road haulage system to be able to get them to where they need to get to. This is like a procurement and supply chain version of when you get extreme weather conditions and an airliner, they've got some of their planes in one country, another plane, and it becomes all displaced and out of sync. It's kind of like that. So we're going to see this for a long time because not only is there an issue with the fact that things are stuck at port, but that costs money. To have those containers sat there, that costs money. But we're seeing some of the ports are now full. Mm -hmm. So stuff's not on the shelves, but it's stuck at the port. And the final bit, the final pebble here is there is a global shortage of truck drivers. So now if you ever fancy not doing the procurement show Mm -hmm. and you want to drive a truck, you can get good money. I can barely park a Mini, yet alone drive a truck. That's true. Have we had it a bit too easy? Have we become a bit too used to and reliant on a global supply chain Mm. that goes extremely smoothly and swimmingly well and you don't even notice it? We're going to see more of a shift towards local procurement, do you Mm -hmm. think, in order to rectify some of this? Yeah, it's a really good point because globalization has been the way that we've done things. It started pretty much back in the 1980s and around the world, the ability to drive world trade became the way things were done because you could offshore, you could source from a low cost country where perhaps labor was cheaper. There were less rules to comply with, so less cost in terms of doing that. But we could get stuff cheap and it would turn up. Stuff would be shipped from China. It would arrive in the UK, in the US in three weeks. And that logistical engine worked beautifully for many, many years. The problem is things have changed. Now there's too much risk. So we've seen big issues with security of supply. Do you remember we had on this podcast Andy McMinn from the NHS? And he said during COVID, they couldn't get scrubs, they couldn't get face masks. So these were previously consumable items that they were sourcing from China. And all of a sudden, during the pandemic, they couldn't get them from China. And the idea of relying on China had completely changed Mm -hmm. because suddenly that was an unreliable source. They completely lost confidence in their foreign suppliers and asked the UK suppliers, can you tool up to start making these things because we need them? Yeah, we went through a process of literally repurposing manufacturing plants in order to do things, manufacture things that they don't normally do. Yeah, and at the heart of that is this loss of confidence in foreign suppliers during a crisis. When things are great, nobody worries, but we've seen a number of crises which have caused companies to question that. So we've also seen the price hikes associated with the issues with global sourcing. But let me just throw a couple of other things in there as well. May 2021, the Colonial Pipeline in the US. So this is the pipeline that supplies 
about half of the fuel that goes to the East Coast. So there was the ransomware cyber attack yes. on the computerized equipment that controls how oil flows through the pipeline. And the hostage, I don't know if you'd call them hostage takers, but the people that did this demanded a $4.4 billion ransom payable yeah, by was, Bitcoin. Well, they call it ransomware, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is almost the same as your appearance fee on this program. <laughs> the Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the Procurement Fun Fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. During the Afghanistan war, the Pentagon procurement function was tasked with sourcing $6 million worth of rare Italian goats for the country. It was part of an initiative to jumpstart the country's cashmere industry by creating 350 jobs. However, later investigation to assess the positive impact of the goats revealed that they had all either been eaten or sold. The Procurement Fun Fact. Contact us by email. Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. So cyber attacks, the risk of stuff happening in parts of the world that are perhaps not close to us is a big issue. And there's one final thing here that's changing this, and that is sustainability. And this is a topic that we're spending a lot of time talking about on this show, but we never used to care about the treatment of labor in a Malaysian factory or the fact that our Indian suppliers were powered by coal-based energy. But now we do. And companies are having to change and think about their supply chains and think about being able to reduce the carbon footprint in the supply base, reduce the consumption of resources in the supply base. And that has a cost. So what's happening is this kind of re-evaluation of our global supply chains and questioning if globalization is still a good thing. So it's not dead, but it's very definitely on the ropes. And it's very definitely being thought about on a case-by-case basis by organizations who are then thinking, should we continue with the global supply base approach or should we look at localization? Mm-hmm. So we're going to see a lot more of that and we're beginning to see it in countries. We're seeing it here in the UK, but also vertical integration as well, which is where instead of sourcing, you do it yourself. You actually bring those production facilities, you bring those things into your organization so you have full control over them. So localization, vertical integration are things that are beginning to come back. But globalization is still there, but it's kind of more of a slobalization. So to look at sustainable procurement, because it does keep on popping up here and there, we're all procurement people, aren't we? We do it every day. We procure things at home. And the consumer is becoming a sustainable consumer. We're making proactive decisions to buy things because we believe they're better or being told they're better for the environment or for the supply chain. Now, occasionally that means that we're making a proactive choice to buy something a bit more expensive Mm -hmm. because it's a bit more green. Now, with all you've mentioned so far and with things generally becoming more expensive and also becoming slightly more expensive because they're along the sustainable theme, does this mean we're going to have a snowball effect where everything is going to get more and more and more and more expensive? Or actually, is it just a situation that firms are cashing in on all of this? It's both of those things, in fact, actually. So yes, everything is 
is going to get more and more expensive. And yes, people are making a lot of money on the back of COVID, on the back of supply chain shortages right now. And our job in procurement is to cut through this because the things that are driving up the increase in cost here. So we've talked about supply shortages. Mm -hmm. So when there's a supply shortage, that will drive up the price if there is more demand than there is supply. Okay, so the basic supply and demand principles there. So as things are in short supply, costs rise. But also the cost of raw materials are increasing and partly because of the shortages, but also partly because we're using a lot around the world. So if you try and buy building materials, then you can't get them. Or I've talked to a lot of people recently who have had companies doing some remodeling, some building works in their homes. And the companies are saying, we need to order the materials six months in advance, or you're going to have to pay 40% more. Now, some of that may be, you know, it's, hey, we can make another 40%. Absolutely, another 40% here. But a lot of it is real because everything is increasing. And some of that are due to genuine supply shortages. Logistics are getting more expensive. So the cost of moving stuff around, Uh truck drivers are demanding more money. You can earn big money as a yes, truck driver now. Indeed, you can get a bonus, don't you, for becoming a truck driver now. Do you know what demurrage is? No. It's the cost of your shipping container being stuck at the port. So oh. if you don't pick it up on time and put it on your lorry and take it to where it needs to be, you have to pay for the privilege of it sitting there. Which is likely to happen if you have logistics issues because of the lack of drivers. Right. And also, you just mentioned it there, making supply chains sustainable, that has a cost. It costs money to be able to move away from some of these low-cost sources as well. And as you say, it's a chance to make money and everybody's cashing in on this. So ultimately, all of these things together are driving prices up. That's going to drive inflation. That's going to further drive the cost. So we can see more and more cost increases in this area. We touched on the lack of drivers, certainly yeah. what the situation we've had in the United Kingdom. I think at one point it was a shortfall of something like 100,000 mm-hmm. HGV drivers that were needed. Now, normally we would consider that to be an HR, a human resource yeah. issue. Yeah. Now, that's having a massive impact on the supply chain. Is there now starting to be a crossover between human resource and the procurement of actual people to do things? Are you guys, are HRs and recruiters dealing with procurers? And what conversations are happening or should be happening, do you think? Well, this is about working together, working Mm -hmm. cross-functionally. Do you remember on the procurement show we had Bill Young on? Yes. And he talked very much about internal functions and outsourced functions and the need to be able to work together. And this is one of those. So if the truck drivers are employed by us, then once that was an HR thing, now it's a business continuity thing. Yeah. So HR are part of a group of people working to figure out how can we get truck drivers? What more do we need to do to incentivize them? But a lot of logistics, a lot of road haulage in particular, has long since been outsourced. So that then becomes a procurement issue to make sure that we can get that. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, we wouldn't have had this conversation. It was not an issue. And it suddenly is an issue to be able to get the right resources that we need. Things have changed. So how does all this impact with regards to how we negotiate with our suppliers then? If all our suppliers start coming to us saying we want to push up the price of this, that and the other... 
puts us in a bit of a kind of awkward position, it does. doesn't it? Yeah, and I'm having a lot of conversations with companies that I'm working with who are saying we really need help to negotiate here because it's a bit like General Custer's last stand. So there you are in procurement and all of your suppliers are coming to you saying we've got this cost increase, we need to pass it on to you. Now remember these are probably situations where suppliers are in long-term supply agreements, the prices are probably fixed or there is a mechanism for how price works over the term of that contract. Maybe there's a mechanism for changing that price, maybe there isn't. It doesn't really matter what the contract says, because if you get to a point where it's unsustainable, you've got to do something about it. So procurement functions are grappling with this big security of supply issue to Mm. get the stuff to keep the organisation going. And at the same time, the suppliers are coming saying, I want a price increase. Now, add to that, the organization is saying, we can't pass this on to our customer because that will impact our competitive position in the marketplace. So the margins are getting squeezed. And everybody's looking at procurement saying, what are you going to do about this? You know, we've got to fend off all of these suppliers. So it is a bit like General Custer's last stand. But at the same time, ultimately, something's going to have to happen. Prices will rise to the end customer. That is inevitable. But it's about looking beyond what the suppliers are doing when they're coming and saying, I need a price increase. Mm. So the only negotiation approach that can really work with a supplier that we have a long-term relationship with is first to understand what the risk is with Mm -hmm. this supplier. If we do nothing, is that going to impact our security of supply because we have not had the conversation about Mm. a cost increase with that supplier? So what is the risk of doing nothing or just saying no to the supplier? So that's the first point. And once we've done that, the obvious thing we need to do is to try and delay it as much as possible. Okay, yes, we understand the position. Can we look at something that happens in two months' time? Now, the smart suppliers are going to say no, but doing these things begins to buy time. And part of this process is about understanding how real the supplier's need for the price increase is and how real the figures they're presenting are. Because the more we can do to see how serious they are about it, the more we can gauge whether we have to do something. One of the things that I've seen quite a bit is an approach by suppliers saying, we kind of need a cost increase here. And then when that's challenged, they kind of say, okay, but they go away and they're okay to live with it. For In a, a casual longer. kind of way, opening yeah. up a casual conversation about yeah. the issue. Yeah. So there's a bit of conditioning here. If the supplier has an approach that says, I need to put my prices up. If I don't, I can't keep supplying you or we're not going to be able to survive. And, you know, if they're saying that with such conviction to you, you have to take that seriously. And remember, a lot of negotiation is the kind of, you know, what happens between the words that they're saying, the body language, even if we're on a Zoom call, it's about being able to see how serious are they about this. Uh So part of our job here in negotiating with suppliers is to test that. Are you just asking for a price increase because everybody else is and you've had a few cost increases? Or is this really as critical as you say? Pretty much, are you bluffing? Right, (laughs) right. So we've got to do a lot of probing on that stuff because there's a lot of noise here. But ultimately, you may get to a point where your supplier is serious. They have to drive a cost increase. If you don't listen to them, bad things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we've got to quantify that. We've got to get the facts and data behind it. What is the impact? If they're asking for a 5% increase, is that 5% of all of their costs? What proportion of those costs make up the overall price to you? So a 5% rise of something that represents 20% of their total cost actually equates to a 1% rise. Mm -hmm, So it's mm -hmm. doing those sorts of things to actually quantify exactly 
exactly what the impact is. There's also this hard bit about if we're into that discussion with the supplier about reviewing whether that is the right way to source this moving forward. So it does force the debate, which gives us leverage. If the price is going to rise here, do we need to review this area? It's time to Ask Jonathan. And today's Ask Jonathan was submitted to the procurement show via our LinkedIn page from Caroline Richards. And this was in a response to your LinkedIn post Mm -hmm. that triggered this very podcast episode. Now, she says, Dear Jonathan, what about Plan B? Getting to know where your alternative stock and solutions could come from or asking yourself, are the contractual remedies suitable given the fragility challenges you've mentioned? Financial penalties mean little when your ailing supplier is indirectly destroying your downstream customer relationship with missed deliveries. That's a really great question. And one I don't think we covered adequately in the podcast because Plan B is really, really important. If we can have a plan B, if we can switch suppliers, then we should absolutely do that. So part of our thinking here around security of supply is to think about what is the plan B and perhaps put one in place. Mm -hmm. So in many areas of supply, organisations haven't needed a plan B because the global supply chains have worked just fine. Yeah, everything's been brilliant. Now we Mm. do. And that only really works where we have the choice and the ability to switch. Where we don't and we're locked in, we need to continue with the supply chains, the suppliers that we're working with. Because of the reasons we talked about earlier, there's a relationship, there's something unique about what they do. It's difficult to switch away from them. We've built up time and investment with them to get somewhere. Those are probably the areas where it's harder to do that. And contractual remedies tend, in my experience, not to work very well. So nothing focuses a supplier like having a good set of contractual conditions with suitable remedies in there. But when things go wrong, they rarely work. I haven't seen many instances where litigation with suppliers actually works. It just takes a lot of time and nothing much happens at the end and it causes a lot of pain. So the key here is not getting to that bit in the first place, because if you get to the point where you're having to rely on contractual remedies or financial penalties, then you've already lost it. It's about trying to get the right relationship and trying to manage the risk as best you can so those things never become things that particularly work well. But really good question. Thank you. Thank you very much for sending in your question, Caroline. And if you have a question that you'd like to submit, here's how to do it. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. In order to achieve discussions on those levels, though, with your supplier, you need to have a very good supplier relationship, don't you? Because you may well want them to have a bit more of an open book with regards to their figures and their data so you can see a bit more honestly what's going on, don't you? Yes, open book is a bit of a kind of myth. People talk about open book pricing and it's something suppliers like to talk about that we'll have an open book policy. The reality is it's very hard for a procurement person to truly see the true costs. You can analyse things like labour costs, material costs, but costs can be hidden in overheads and it's very difficult to really understand Mm. a supplier's cost. But There is a thing about openness there. So there's not one size that fits all because Mm -hmm. some of the things that we're sourcing are fairly generic. We could source from other suppliers and we have choice 
And in those situations, we're probably not going to have that much of a relationship. We're probably just going to switch to another source of yeah. supplier. But for the things where we need a relationship, where maybe we've outsourced a whole part of what we do, maybe it's a critical area of supply mm-hmm. to us. We work together to develop what that supplier does. Where things are a bit more kind of bespoke. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we need the relationship. And in those situations, we do need to have that sort of transparency and ask the right questions because the chances are we can't switch away from that supplier. The chances are we need that supplier. We need to make this work. So we've got to look at the type of supplier, how important they are, how difficult the marketplace Mm -hmm. is, and ultimately how much leverage we have as part of making decisions about how we're going to negotiate or accommodate or reject cost increases from suppliers. Jonathan, a lot of the things that we've spoken about today have at some point grabbed the headlines for everyone. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing not long ago on the old Beeb, there was an interview with a farmer and she was saying how they've had supply chain issues with regards to what they need in order to run the farm. They've had HR issues with regards to personnel in order to process the products, the meat that they're producing. And they've had (laughs) upward supply chain, I don't know what the term is, with regards to actually distributing the products that they're creating. Now, often when you watch these interviews, they will say, well, the government's not giving us any help or all this kind of stuff. What's the role of government in all of this? Do you think that governments in general should engage with procurement on a proactive level? Because it does seem to me, seems to leave procurement to get on with it, whereas without much planning. Yeah, and that's pretty much how it is. The mantra of governments tends to be to not interfere in how trade happens, allow free markets to work, certainly in the Western countries. So government will get involved in imposing tariffs, and we're seeing that more and more where governments impose tariffs. There was a story in The Economist Mm -hmm. recently where a wine producer managed to start selling wine into China in 2009. This was an Australian wine producer and became very successful. And by 2019, 2020, the Chinese government imposed a 200% tariff on the import of Australian wine, which completely killed the business. Nice. And claimed that it was undermining the Chinese economy in some way. But it was really a kind of political flexing of muscles. So we see this and we're seeing this more and more. But what governments are doing increasingly is imposing tariffs to protect their own industries. We saw that in the US during the Trump administration. We're starting to see that a bit with Brexit and with the EU, and it will probably happen more and more. So governments take a role to protect an economy, but they don't tend to get involved in ensuring that procurement can work in the commercial sector. So what they're doing is they're essentially trying to force a process to happen, to force things to go down a certain path. You don't think we should have a Minister of Supply? That's a really good question. It would be great. I'm not sure what that remit would be and how that would work. You could go for that. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minister of Supply, Jonathan O'Brien. I like that. Do I get a diplomatic card? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with a blue number plate but you don't think in concept that would work i can't see the role of it because the way in which markets work is they work well because they're based on free trade yeah and we've seen impacts to that but those are the principles that drove globalization those same principles will drive localization and countries companies and economies will figure it out 
based on simple principles of supply and demand. So what's the takeaways then, Jonathan? So five things, five things we can do here. The first is what is the risk? Where is the risk? So we might not be able to predict a pandemic, but we can identify the things that we buy, our categories of spend. So using the principles of category management, which are the categories where there is risk of issues Mm -hmm. in the supply chain due to security of supply? Where are the suppliers, where are the supply chains where there is risk? We need to really, really be doing intense risk analysis in terms of what we buy, who we buy from, and the supply chains. The second step is we need to understand the macro picture. There's all sorts of stuff going on. We've got tools in our toolkit to do this. So using some of the tools that we use in category management and SRM, simple pestle analysis, Uh okay, using Porter's Five Forces tool, understand the macro picture and update that. What is happening in the world now that we need to be understanding and responding to? The third bit is we've got to get close to our supply chains. Procurement traditionally hasn't done this, but now more than ever, we need to understand our supply chains. Who's involved? Where do they go? What are the steps that make them up? We need to map them based on Mm -hmm. the risks. So where we see a risk, let's understand that supply chain. Identify the weaknesses. Right. And then we need to get close to our suppliers and closer in a slightly different way. So supplier relationship management is a key, uh, has the sort of tools within that, but that means a whole variety of different things. It means every Everything from managing a contract to driving a strategic collaborative relationship. And there's a whole bunch of things in between that. But what's key is the suppliers where we know we need to do something. We've got to get close to them and understand what they're doing, what risk they have and what they're doing to make sure that the things that they need to source, Mm -hmm. they're able to do that. So that's about getting close and understanding exactly what's going on with our suppliers and spotting any issues or working with our suppliers to help make this work. And finally, the fifth thing right now, the thing that every procurement person is doing right now is prioritize security of supply. It's always been there. Assurance of supply has always been the number one thing when we develop business requirements. But the days of procurement being cost-based, price-based, those days have gone. Companies are still kind of holding on to those things. It's not about price and cost anymore. It's number one security of supply right now. And it will be about sustainability and innovation to be able to navigate through what's probably going to be the biggest change that we're going to see in procurement as we move through the next decade. So there we have it. If you want an excuse to reactivate your supplier entertainment budget, then <laughs> you've got permission there. Get close to your suppliers. You remember the days when it used to be done down the pub? Yeah, it yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. it is still done down the pub in some cases you've been listening to the procurement show contact us by email hello at the procurement show.com connect with us on linkedin search for the procurement show and on twitter at procurement show visit us at the procurement show.com the procurement show is brought to you by positive purchasing enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe Copyright, positive purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.